We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. We got special guest today, Gotham's Reckoning. Gotham, how we doing? Great, great. Happy to be here. Longtime listener, first time, first time caller. So. <laughs> It would be extremely painful for you if you didn't listen and subscribe to this podcast. Okay, that Jack, was not good. That wasn't. That good. was uh, better sorry. than your some of your other accents we've tried in the past or impersonation. So, but um, you know, if you don't know what he's talking about, you can check out Gotham's Twitter page and you'll see what newsletter like, as well. Subscribe to that bad yeah, boy. One hundred percent. And like Jack mentioned, you know, you can find us on all streaming platforms. But Jack, what are we talking about today? All right, news literally dropping today, lads, is that the preseason games are upon us. The Brooklyn Nets will be playing two games, just the two. A few other teams are playing three or four, but we've got the Brooklyn Nets on December 13th versus the Warriors, December 18th versus the Boston Celtics. We, uh, I think we can all surmise that a lot of these games have been played due to geographical circumstances. makes the most sense in that regard. But Gotham, in terms of the two games... Do you think that two games is enough for the, the likes of Kyrie Irving, for the likes of Kevin Durant, for the likes of Bruce Brown and all these different pieces? Or do you think that they should have gone for three or four like some other teams? Well, at first, I think it's Kyrie and KD. I think they're going to be just fine. Uh, second, uh, this is going to be a process. I mean, most teams jamming high-usage pieces together, especially elite high-usage pieces like the guys we have, are lucky to have um, some time. Um, so whether it's two or four preseason games, I'm not as worried about that as I am about how much they're playing down the stretch in the regular season as we get close to playoff time. Yeah, I think Gotham's spot on right here because you look at it, you know, two, four, three, whatever preseason games, it wasn't really going to matter because at the end of the day, regular season basketball is still going to be different. There's still going to be plenty of time to adjust. And I think even, you know, as we get into a couple weeks into the season, you know, there's still going to be adjustments going on because we're bringing in such big pieces. And, you know, there's other minor pieces and trying to get guys to accept different roles and just seeing, you know, Steve Nash even adjusting himself. You know what I mean? I do expect KD and Kyrie to play probably more than expected in preseason, just given the rust. But, you know, I don't think it's necessarily going to dictate if it's going to be a successful season or not. 
Yeah, I mean, you can look at it from both sides. You know, two games gives you an adequate amount of time to just sort of get some rust out, the rest and rust sort of thing. And also there's less chance for injuries and, and any sort of niggles and any sort of muscle injuries as you're sort of working your way back into to basketball sort of fitness. But you can also look at the, at the fact of like, you know, you're not getting the opportunities to gel. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's both sides. You look at it from both sides and you can easily make an argument for both. But Nick, you sort of touched on there uh, around Kevin Durant seems to be a bit of a talk on that Twitter right now. Gotham, if you were to give me a prediction as of November, what is it here in Melbourne? November 28th, 2020. We were about 16, 17 days from the preseason beginning. How many minutes do you expect Kevin Durant to play in these, in both preseason games, in the Wizards game, the Celtics game? Can you give me a range? What are your thoughts? I'd, I'd expect 10 to 20. I mean, I, again, this is something I'm not too concerned about, but if they try to push him 30 minutes to get him uh, ready for, you know, the first game of the regular season, uh, that would be ridiculous considering it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I expect yep. that to be much smarter than that. <laughs> yeah, and we really have no idea where his conditioning's at, how KD feels, what he personally wants. So I think it's, you know, a difficult situation to gauge. I would probably expect him to play over 20 minutes just, you know, to get out there and just run. You know what I mean? Like just getting on the court, competing against different guys. And I'm sure he's probably like super excited. You know, this is a guy that probably never cared about a preseason game in his life. He's probably pretty pumped to go out there for the Nets, you know, on the 13th. Yeah, this is probably the biggest preseason we have in NBA history in terms of the lead-up and the fact that these games are probably going to matter more than any other preseason games that we've ever seen with the likes of Stephen Curry coming back, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving obviously gelling, you know, what's going on behind the scenes with the Lakers and LeBron James. But on the net side of things, yeah, I think... There's a lot of variations of opinion in terms of like, oh, we won't see KD a lot. We don't want to overstretch him in terms yep. of you know the the capacity that, that we want him to be playing. But there's other people like, well, you got to get him game ready. You know, we're playing real you know games that mean something. That wins and losses do matter in a shortened season. You want to get him you know game ready uh, in in some form of capacity. So you know, I think watch the the Wizards game. You know, anywhere from ten to twenty minutes, as Gotham was saying. But I think we do see some. I'm sort of a ramp up and if it's late 20s i would i would expect 20 to 30 maybe even a 35 katie's feeling himself and he wants to keep getting that rust out because at the end of the day our best player is going to be playing the most amount of minutes when it does matter and kevin durant at the pointy part of the season we wanted him to be playing 42 44 minutes you know we're not this isn't some mike Budenhoser sort of shit going on here there's a brooklyn nets and we've got kevin durant we want him to be playing it when it really does matter so i see that sort of range i, I guess Nick, what uh, you were sort of alluding to different sort of things. What's your range? Yeah, no, I think I would think maybe over 20 in the first one, unless, you know, he's not feeling well, unless they have some plan. Like I was thinking more of like 20 to 24, nothing crazy. I don't think he'll get up to like 20 and 30 until the second game, like you said. But also we have really no idea what the plan is for KD. I would assume no back-to-backs this season. That would just make sense, you know, coming off a torn Achilles and just not playing basketball in so long and trying to save him for the playoffs on a shortened season. So not only is he coming back from an Achilles and hasn't played basketball in a year and a half, but, oh, yeah, the NBA is going to have a shortened season this year. We're going to play 72 games between December 22nd and whatever, you know, what is it, April, May, and then yeah, we have the, the, the finals. So it, it's definitely tough, and it's going to, you know, the Nets are really going to make those guys earn their money that work for the performance team because they're going to have to try to come up with that best schedule that really fits KD to get the most out of them, not only during the season, but really during the postseason because that's all you really care about. Yeah, basically. Gotham, do you have any sort of worries about KD heading into these preseason games in the early point of the season? I think it's probably going to take a significant amount of time before we actually have a real great feel for where KD is. I think my concern uh, has never really been on the offensive side of the ball, where his floor, I think, is relatively high. Yep. I mean, he's essentially a seven-footer who can get whatever shot he wants uh, with a great feel on the offense. Uh, what's kind of special about KD is has been uh, the high-level defender he is, as well as the level of rim protection that he brings, um, and how much we're willing to burden him on the defensive side yeah. of the ball. Um, so uh, as far as what he brings there, my biggest concern is, yeah, uh, his offense, I expect it to be, maybe he's not at the same level getting to the rim. I think that will be okay there. He's 
the maybe the best, you know, one of the best scorers to ever play the game. <laughs> um, yeah. On the defensive side of the ball, that's where I'm really interested in seeing uh, in what shape he's in and the level of explosive explosiveness and, and, and how that complements the other. Game. I think with KD, like we've we talked about, it, I think a couple shows ago, and um, Mike Prada was it or yep. He, who broke down the KD, you know, offense and just like, okay, the shooting's going to be there based off of his jump shot. The post moves are going to be there. Like offensively, like he could be at the same level, even better. You know, like Gotham said, not really concerned about the floor. It's defensively. You know, you're concerned about that lateral quickness, that explosiveness, you know, that that recovery speed that you just might not have coming off that Achilles injury. So like you said, you know, offense, I'm feeling good. It's just a defense. Where is he going to be? And we might not even know where the defense is until the postseason because it's not like you're going to be like, all right, KD, you need to lock down Kawhi on these next 10 possessions or you need to lock down LeBron. Like that's something that you're going to probably keep in your back pocket when it comes to, you know, a clutch game in the postseason. I think probably what's even bigger of a question mark and it relates to KD as well is that the Nets don't have a defensive identity. We can envision already what the offense is going to look like. You know, I've heard Steve Nash say a lot of things and obviously you know, all the words coming out like, you know, defense is going to be a priority. Of course it is. But what is a defensive identity when, you know, your wing defenders are a guy coming off to kill his injury, a guy who had one of the most inconsistent seasons ever in Toy and Prince, Jeff aging and Rodion Skurits, you know, a third-year player who has shown varying signs of form on that side of the floor at best. You know, it, it's going to be an interesting, and obviously you add in Bruce Brown, who's obviously a good defender, Landry Shemin, who's a little bit pesky. It's the defensive identity, I think, is what all us NBA Nets nerds are probably going to be looking at the most, because when you have Kyrie and KD, two guys who can create their shot better than maybe any other in the NBA, the offense is going to be damn fine, but... I guess we'll go to get to another guy who's damn good at creating his own shot. Um, and that's the update surrounding James Harden. Obviously been a little bit quieter as of late, but throughout the week we did have, you know, little bits and pieces here. We had, you know, Farbod Esnashari saying that sources indicate to me that the Rockets weren't pleased with the Harden with the Harden trade request getting leaked so early. He's been as vocal as possible about being traded to the Nets, but Houston believes they have the leverage in the situation. Harden's goal remains the same. We also had a, a Tim McMahon piece from ESPN saying that, you know, the Rockets are bracing for life after the beard. Um, we had Nets Daily. We saw Jay Williams go on an ESPN so saying that there's no way that uh, we see James Harden end the season with the Brooklyn, uh, with so the, the Houston Rockets. And then maybe the most intriguing thing was we saw that via PointsBet USA, you know, James Harden's market to a, a team that he would be on at the season to start the season on. You know, the Brooklyn Nets were overwhelming favorites in that regard. Seeing all these little tidbits drop and such, uh, Gotham, what are your thoughts currently as of this day on around the James Harden situation as it pertains to the Brooklyn Nets? I mean, first of all, I can't believe this has been going on for what now, two years? Wait, <laughs> November 14th, is that right? <laughs> I think... I think my my first reaction when the news broke was, huh, that was discussed, uh, the move, and it looks like that's been a bit accurate. Uh, things have slowed down. I mean, when you're trading a guy of, of Harden's caliber, right, I mean, you only have so many opportunities to trade an MVP player. Uh, mm. Why would you rush something like that? Um especially a guy who's under contract for multiple years. Uh, so as much as, as people want to say, you know, well, the Nets have leverage, Harden wants to be a net, uh, the Rockets can take their time with this. I mean, I don't know if we want this conversation to drag on another uh, six months or whenever the trade deadline is going to be now, um, four months. But um, <clears throat> the... Uh, this thing hopefully comes to a head at, at you know sometime soon. Either he's not coming or he is coming. Um, but the only thing we really know at this point is we know absolutely nothing. <laughs> the only thing we know is he wants to come. It doesn't mean anything though. You know what I mean? Like we know that James Harden wants to be a net, but Houston has the leverage in the situation given he has two years on the contract. You know, you you could debate about that. I don't think it's really changed how I felt about the situation with the recent reports. Like. You know, I, I got probably a little bit more pessimistic after we didn't see it happening at the beginning of free agency. So given this stuff, I think it's more likely that maybe it would happen at the deadline or happen in the offseason. Like if it doesn't happen this weekend, I have a hard time seeing it happen before the season starts just because of how close the training camp is, how everything's going down. Like if the Nets 
don't trade for James Harden this weekend. I wouldn't envision them trading for James Harden, you know, week one, week two of the NBA season. It'd be the deadline or it'd be next year in my eyes. So, yeah, this- so one of the sorry, one one of the interesting things that I was watching uh early on in the saga was Rockets Twitter was campaigning uh who is the guy who was supposedly Tillman Fertitta's son on Twitter not to take the Nets deal. Um and they <laughs> They were campaigning pretty hard. Uh, and I think something that's interesting down in Houston is what is the power structure now? How much does Fertitta and his, uh, ge- let's say, to be generous, uh, level of ego, uh, <laughs> play does that have over a rookie personnel head in Stone, who obviously worked closely with a legend in Daryl Morey, but I mean, he, he doesn't have the credibility at this point to probably push back against Fertitta. So what do we think is Tillman Fertitta's going on in his headspace? And that is a, that is a scary place to be. To yeah. Be and this is a thought I had, like, you know, obviously you guys probably get this too, covering the NBA and like knowing a lot of things. People ask you like, oh, you know, do you think James Harden's going to end up on the nets? And I'm like, I've said to people, like, I wish – they weren't dealing with the Rockets. Like there's 20 other teams I'd rather see them deal with or 27 because I wouldn't want them to have to deal with the Knicks either because that just would end up being terrible. But like Houston and Toma Fertitta, just like you really don't know what they expect. This guy is so ego driven. You know, some of the remarks he's made in the past, like it's just like, you know, it just feels like it's going to be a tough situation. It feels like maybe they even did have a deal done. And then he saw the reports from the media saying like, oh, they should get a better package for me, uh, for James Harden. And then he like turned around and said, you know what? You know, we want three more first round picks. Like he seems like the type of guy that you'd have a deal done with. And then later on, he'd be like, you know, what? actually, this isn't good enough. I want more. Yeah. And then there's the him retweeting about the luxury tax bill oh. of Golden State and stuff and then deleting it, even though, you know, nothing's ever... It's always permanent when it's on the internet, my guy. It doesn't matter um, if you delete the tweet or whatever. Someone's going to screenshot that shit. I, I think one thing that I've just thought about hearing you guys chat about it is how successful the teams are at the early points of the season. If you see the Brooklyn Nets absolutely flying, going gangbusters, everything's mm-hmm. meshing well. Carol Silvert's got that third superstar role. He's developing forward. Spencer's you know, in sixth man of the year contention or whatever. And the closing lineup is just absolutely... And, you know, KD's flying. He's Kyrie's doing his thing. And then you see in Houston... You know, James Harden and Russell Westbrook are clashing and butting heads. You know, James Harden wants the ball. Russell Westbrook wants the ball. You know, all these things are going on behind the scenes there. You know, that plays well into the Brooklyn Nets Mm. right now. You know, obviously Houston, I think, do have the leverage because they have the asset. You know, the asset being one of the best players in the NBA right now. But I think the success level of either team is going to dictate where this could go next. Now, Houston could, you know, some suddenly go, you know what, James Harden's a hooper. He's going to want to go out there and ball, get his numbers and, you know, place 38 minutes and try and get a triple-double with 50 points every single game because that's just what he does. You know, he just goes out there flat out and produces night in, night out for 72, 82 games, whatever the season is. So I'm really going to be watching both sides of it. You know, we're obviously all here watching every 48 minutes of a Brooklyn Nets game and beyond, but we're probably going to be doing the same thing for the Houston Rockets in that regard, just to see what's going on over there. And then if that changes the situation around this James Harden thing, because, you know, right now, Tillman's like, you know what? I'm not letting my best player go unless I'm getting this massive package and unless, you know, NBA Twitter is like, you know what? That's a pretty good deal. You need to get what Anthony Davis got. You need to get what, you know, freaking four first rounders for Drew Holiday got three first round of what Drew Holiday got. So I think it's it's going to be fascinating to see how it sort of plays out because if that does happen, then maybe we see, you know, James Harden gotten on the cheap and yeah. Tillman Fertitta has to swallow his ego and swallow his pride and go, you know what, man, I, there's no other packages for me here. You know, and the Philadelphia 76ers, maybe Ben Simmons, Joel and Beat are absolutely balling out there, mm. you know, like they were a couple of seasons ago. And they're just like, you know what? We don't want James Harden anymore. You know, we've got these other little pieces here and there that are working and meshing quite well. So I think that while the ball is definitely in Houston's court, and I agree with with Gotham and you, Nick, saying that it could quite easily change in a matter of weeks and months. Yeah, I also would throw out the fact is, you know, let's hypothetically say a team like Boston has a really bad start to the season. They weren't really in the trade discussions. Now, okay, maybe we're uh, willing to offer Jalen Brown. You know what I mean? Or like maybe somebody else gets in the competition too. So there's a lot of different variables. And like, let's be honest, I don't think any of us really envision Houston being a good team going to the season, given how the rest of the West is upgraded. And like they've lost Robert Covington, you know, 
things just seem a little dysfunctional there. Like I don't have confidence in them being like a locked in playoff team right now. Yeah. I mean, if you have James Harden playing at least 85% of his best, I think that's still a playoff team above, you know, Phoenix and, and whoever else is competing for that sort of eight uh, seed. But I don't know. I feel like I would, I personally feel like I feel more comfortable with Phoenix, like as a better team going to the season. Yeah, but Phoenix is still, you know, remain a question mark because they haven't actually proved anything yet. Whereas we know what the proven commodity of James Harden, James Harden by himself is a top five offense. You know, it, and you know you can have whatever pieces around him that you want, even if it's Russell Westbrook being a detriment. But on that point, Gotham, I wanted to ask you this, and this is via our guys, UK Nets fans. Do you think Brooklyn missed out on other free agency moves because they were waiting around for Harden? Or do you think that that all played out and we still saw Sean Marks behind the scenes trying to get things done with the Barker and these other maybe wings that could have helped us as well? What are your thoughts on, on that as a question? I mean, the main free agency move, I think, is uh, re-signing Joe Harris. They got that done. Uh, I'm, I'm not too concerned there. I, I wouldn't expect that they missed out on Harden just because they had, you know, so few avenues in the free agency market. Yep. Ibaka is a different story. Um, if, if that pursuit uh, did, did cause making targets for the tax MLE, uh, you know, that, that's, that is slightly concerning. I think I, during the, uh, the great Ibaka chase, um, <laughs> something about, something about uh, I would have been more interested in pursuing Mo Harkless than Abaka, you know, just for the primary reason of Abaka's a five. Uh, he's a great player. Um, if you can get him for the tax MLE, it's, uh, you know, it's a great value play. But it's not as much filling in the biggest need the team had. Uh, and I was never really sold that he was going to take, you know, five, you know, five and change uh, million and he ended up getting what two years 19 with a nice little trade kicker from the Clippers uh, and we're kind of left holding the tax MLE for I guess the buyout market at this point um, so yeah I, I, I think there is a definite possibility that they missed out on a potential you know defensive wing um, I don't think it's uh, a grave mistake just yet and I think we're going to have to watch how things play out um, before we pass full judgment on there, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I think Gotham's spot on. Because with the Harden stuff, it really didn't impact free agent signings. You had the taxpayer MLE, you had vet, min vet minimums. Like, there wasn't really anything else you could have done. It's not like Harden was eating into your cap space or anything like that. You know, maybe you could say there were trades out there that you could have got done if you weren't pursuing Harden. Maybe you could have gotten Robert Covington, but who knows? Like, that's a whole different thing. I agree on the Serge Ibaka front with what Gotham said because, like, you were waiting for Serge. It kind of felt like a pipe dream, and there wasn't necessarily an amazing fit with it. But the value was so good that I think the Nets had to try to get into that conversation. And also the relationship with Kevin Durant. And Durant wanted to play with him. Then somebody you probably feel a little bit more comfortable closing with than DeAndre Jordan, assuming that Jared Allen's traded. So I understand the pursuit. And Mo Harkless was a guy that Jack actually mentioned. So I think you just got on his good side, Gotham. You know, Jack was like, you know, I really want the Nets to sign Mo Harkless. And seeing him for that, what was it, $3.6 million or something like that. So... I mean, I understand. I don't think it's the end of the world, though, because at the end of the day, it was only the taxpayer MLE. And then we're not talking about, like, they missed out on some, like, perfect fit. Mo Harkless would have been good, but obviously has his flaws to his game, or he would have been retained by other teams or offered a bigger contract. Yeah, I I'm, I was a big Mo Harkless fan. I think a lot of people on Nets Twitter were. But then, as it was revealed to me by a lot of other well people you know within Nets Twitter that obviously there's a prior negative relationship with Jacques Vaughn thanks to the Orlando days and I'm like damn uh, I wish I knew a bit more about that but you know he did only sign for I think 3.6 million uh, biannual exception or whatever money it is I'm um, not necessarily as much of a cap nerd as, as my dude Nick here is but you know we could have got him for an extra 2 million does that 2 million sort of mean anything at the end of the day you know what at the end of the day a lot of these guys have made money across their careers and they want to be in a situation where they're comfortable you know living in Miami you you know, you're in championship contention with them. You know, Bam Adebayo, you're in the Yana sweepstakes, everything that's going on there. Who knows? Um, I, I think that, and he replaced, he's going to have a ready-made role uh, replacing mm -hmm. Jake Crowder as well. So, you know, he, it's not that he's going to be, you know, missing any minutes and like Brooklyn could have offered him more 
I think that, that the role probably is quite similar, but I am certainly disappointed. And I guess in general, answering the, the question that I did bring up, I, I think, like you both said, because it's a, both are two completely separate enti- entities. You know, the trade package, you know, if you had to put Karras and everything, all the picks in there, that doesn't necessarily affect, you know, going after, you know, all these guys on the on the free agency market for the vet minimum. It doesn't affect you, you know, getting Jeff Green or all these other sort of dudes um, uh, for the vet minimum and, and, and those sort of numbers, Aaron Baines and, and, and those sort of guys. Guys that were linked and we've brought up on however many Bro- um, Brooklyn Buzz episodes, you know, they chose to go to other teams because what the Brooklyn Nets had at their disposal, as Gotham alluded to, five and a bit million dollars as a tax MLE isn't necessarily the greatest alluring point for a team. You know, if you are a guy who's on a vet minimum and you want an extra couple of million dollars, yeah, maybe. But at the end of the day, you know, it's it's all relative. But we did also see earlier today as well that the Brooklyn Nets signed Tyler Johnson uh, as their 15th person on the roster. Obviously, we also saw um, Reggie Perry, um, yep. the, the second second round pick. Uh, I think it's going to be a two-way deal from what is at least around the wings and, and being reported. So... 2020 has reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be more efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there's no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching with Candidate instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only site that moves as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today, take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbooks experts. What we do see right now is the Brooklyn Nets roster is as follows. Kyrie, Karras, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Jordan, a bench of Spencer Dinwiddie, Bruce Brown, Landry Shamet, TLC, at Toyin Prince, at Jeff Green, Jared Allen, Tyler Johnson, Rodion Tukurutz, and Nicholas Claxton. Um, obviously, you, you add in Chris Chioza's restricted cap hold, and you add in Reggie Perry, who I expect both of those guys probably to be two-way dudes. And I also do think that two-way guys are going to have more of an impact this year because I think I saw Chris Milholland, or, or I hope I'm saying his name right, say that you know the two-way structure this year is going to be different in terms yeah. of like it's not going to be a days thing. It's going to be a games thing. I think it's like 50 games rather than yep. like 50 days of service. So that's going to be a big impact. And I think that's a that's a good way of um, structuring it from the NBA side of things. But I guess in saying that, Gotham, seeing this Tyler Johnson re-signing, what were your thoughts? I know you've probably provided plenty of thoughts on, on your Twitter page. But what were your thoughts of Tyler Johnson as a Brooklyn Net in Orlando? And are you happy to see him return uh, for the 2020-2021 season? Yeah, I have no problem with Tyler Johnson as a, you know, vet minimum or as, you know, your third string point guard. If Tyler Johnson is your third string point guard, sixth guard, whatever you want to call it, I think you have a pretty nice rotation. Uh, <laughs> he is he's not a bad half. Um, that said, he could be a lot more important should some roster consolidation happen down the line, considering the depth of this team and, you know, the ongoing, you know, 
swirling trade rumors. So I, I think he's he's a good guy. I liked him in Orlando as a buy low. Uh, a guy you had was dealing with injuries, shot the ball worse than he ever had, and he had a nice little bounce back uh, in Orlando. And he's definitely a dog on defense, which I enjoy. Um, so, uh, you know, I like having him on the roster. He's a good guy to, you know, keep around. And he's also, you know, he feels like he's been around for a while, but he, he's not that old either. So uh, I'm relatively happy with that ad, uh, you know, as far as an under-the-radar uh, signing. Yeah, it's not a, you know, a huge highlighter or headliner, but it's a solid move. And Sean Marks has been doing a lot of that, a lot of solid moves. And like you mentioned, Gotham, like if they end up trading for James Harden and need some guard depth, Tyler Johnson's a guy you feel comfortable being in the rotation in a smaller role, showcase some nice things in the bubble, kind of looked more like the player we saw in Miami, maybe missing a little bit of that explosiveness, but still plenty of positive signs. You like the toughness he brings. And like you said too, Gotham, it feels like he's been around longer, so he has pretty good experience, pretty good basketball IQ. I don't mind it. I think it probably signals, you know, that Spencer or Karras is more likely to be traded now, given they have so many guards on the roster. And like you said, Jack, they still have the cap hold on Chioza. I don't know what's going to happen in that situation. We haven't really heard anything about Jeremiah Martin. I know there were some websites reporting that he's still on the second year of his two-way contract. I'm not sure if that's true, but that'll be interesting what they do with those two-way deals. Obviously, you mentioned Reggie Perry is going to get one of them. So I'll see who gets the second one. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what sort of happens in that sort of regard. I, I thought he was really good in Orlando. I thought he's definitely a good ad. And, you know, you put him next to Karras, you put him in second units and, and closing minute and, and, you know, and sort of junk time minutes out there. And, you know, there's going to be injuries and load management in this season yep. probably more than any other with Kyrie. You know, Karras has always uh, got niggling injuries here or there. Spencer did what he seems to be probably the most durable guy. We've seen on the next roster, probably with Joe Harris as well. Um, Jared Allen, uh, you could probably add into that regard as well, being a young dude too. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy to see him. You know, I'd be going against my own word if I said I didn't like this signing. But a part of me also does think, I'm like, damn, you know, there are some other guys out there and i've got them sort of in my little google doc before we i did see this signing i was going to talk about some of these names and i guess i'll bring them to you gotham nicholas batum Dwayne deadman glenn robertson the third jordan bell um i put out a tweet of, of of some other names you know but these are probably names that could probably be consolidated in a trade as you sort of alluded to you know trevor reza uh, miles bridges dorian finney smith daniel house pj tucker Aaron Gordon, Al Farouk Amini. Some of those guys would obviously be in trades. Some of those other guys could have been where Tyler Johnson is as sort of 15th roster signing. What are your thoughts, I guess, in comparison to possible wing and defensive depth that they could have added at a more important position in comparison to the Tyler Johnson signing? Yeah, I mean, Batum is just a total flyer. You're hoping there's still something there. Uh, but, you know, he didn't have much opportunity to show anything and didn't show anything last year. Uh, as far as Deadman or Bell, not really a big need, in my opinion, on this roster. Uh, though I am a big Deadman fan, though last season was a little disappointing uh, for all of us there. Uh, <laughs> all of us big Deadman stands. Uh, GR3 is an interesting name. Um, I, I don't buy him on the defensive side of the ball as much at, you know, for an ability to guard threes and fours, uh, fine. You know, he's, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not something, um, you know, writing letters home about. Uh, and, and that's kind of where our market is right now, in my opinion. Like there's guys where it's like, eh, I guess, uh, but that's not what I want to stake my championship hopes on, you know? Yeah. I think that pretty much nails it because like there's guys out there, maybe they could help the roster, maybe not. Like you said, it's more of flyers with a guy like Nick Batum and Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Dedman would make more sense if there was a Jared Allen trade, you know, provides you a little bit of that stretch five. I think it what was it two years ago when he played the Nets, he had a couple threes and he hit them with like the call me celebration. So, you know, maybe <laughs> oh, I remember it. Yeah. So maybe he does want to come to Brooklyn for that reason. So it'll be interesting to see what happens on that front. But Nobody where I'm like, oh, my God, if the Nets don't sign them, they don't have a chance at a championship, which seems like Nets Twitter's reaction over the last week. It's weird. Like, oh, man, I'm going to get flamed for this. I think Dwayne <laughs> Denman would be better on this roster than DeAndre Jordan. Like, I'm, I'm Dwayne Denman and Jared Allen, I would be so much more comfortable with as defensive pieces, spacing pieces. Dwayne Denman is a good shooter. He's not... 
you know, Carl Anthony Towns by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, he makes DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen look like Joe Harris. So I, I, I'm always sort of in a Dwayne Devon fan again. I'm always more of a fan and more of a stand of players that I see in person, a la Drew Holiday, in that sort of regard. But yeah, Trevor Rees, I think, will probably be available at the buyout market in yep. some sort of capacity. I think Batum will probably be picked up by then. You know, he was speaking to French media, saying that there's five, his agent saying there's five or six teams after him. And yeah, these other names like, you know, Finney Smith, you know, the, the Nets have been talking about Spencer Dinwiddie trades and maybe that does happen in the future. I think with the Josh Richardson signing, maybe it's less likely. I don't know. Miles Bridges, you know, I'm a fan of Miles Bridges as a buy low sort of guy who's got utmost potential. But is that what the Nets need right now? Maybe not. But man, is he an athlete? You know, Al Farouk Aminu, I think, you know, Orlando are probably going to be wanting to get rid of some pieces. And Aaron Gordon, we've spoken about on, I don't know, 300 of our 320 podcasts, it feels like. So, yeah, there's plenty of names out there that could. And I hope and I think that this team isn't what it's going to be, you know, come July when we're, we're hoping to see this Brooklyn Nets team in the finals. You know, how much, I guess, impact does a, a buyout candidate generally do make? You know, not a lot, I guess, at the end of the day. But in saying that, you know, I think that the Nets still do have some little moves to make around the wings. And, you know, I'm not necessarily totally closed with that, totally comfortable with where the roster is at currently. But I guess I'll ask you, as it stands of of this day, Gotham, can the Nets win the championship with the roster as it's currently formatted? Can they? Sure. I mean, uh, I'm not saying there's zero chance that they could. I think there's a chance. It's... I think it comes down to how probable do you think it is that they can win a championship. And we're trying to make it uh, as likely as possible. And I don't yep. think this roster as currently structured does that. Um, so back away as I wrote something on what it takes. Uh, I teamed up with Nolan Jensen to, to write on Karis LeVert and, you know, how does Karis make sense with this roster? And this was, you know, a year ago at this point. And I basically the what I touched on is – the last team uh, to win a title without a top 10 offense and defense was the uh, quote unquote starless Pistons in uh, the mm. 03 04 season. Every team since then, uh, according to cleaning the glasses, you know, offense and defense metric, which, you know, excludes uh, garbage time, has had a top 10 offense and defense. Um, so, you know, the thinking was well. Did the Cavs you know, win? When the Cavs won the title, were there, was their defense and I, I know their offense was one of the best. It, yeah, they had the 10th ranked defense, so they got in by the skin. Right on the cusp. Yeah. Bad to say, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that was an awful defensive team, which 10th seemed high. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're just terrible. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, we had a pretty solid defense last year. Uh with you know I saw something in defensive rating it seemed to we over exceeded expectations with the iteration of the roster and look full credit there a lot not full credit a lot of credit there goes yep. to Kenny Atkinson I think yeah and we don't we give him a lot of criticism a lot of Nets fans everywhere but the structure and system that was in place that he put in place as you you know were probably about to touch on there Gotham you know he deserves a, a heap of credit and praise for that Definitely, as you know, a lot of people think I'm a Kenny Atkinson burner on uh, Twitter. <laughs> uh, uh, hopefully, they can hear that that's uh, not true. Well, you didn't uh, say um a hundred times, so I think you uh, <laughs> you passed the test. <laughs> <laughs> I have not been using earwax as chapstick. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think Kenny does, and I kind of beat that drum a bit. Kenny does deserve a lot of credit for what he did. Uh, he took a young big and Jared Allen, and basically got a lot of hate for the drop coverage, but it really set up Jared to have success as an anchor of a defense as a, as a young kid, which is very tough for young players. A lot of young centers, you know, I mean, look at Carl Anthony towns. He's still figuring out the yeah. defensive side of the ball. Um, so I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And uh, I have a feeling that's Twitter still going to be pretty angry because Nash has already dropped uh, some comments about there being drop coverage again this season. So uh I think he deserves a lot of credit, and it's going to be interesting when we see guys like Kyrie and KD back. There's no concerns, really, that the, the offense is going to work. Um, it's going to work. If it doesn't work for KD, I think we'll be fine. But integrating those guys, both coming off injuries on the defensive side of the ball, is going to be interesting. And having guys guys alongside them that can you know, 
help complement and really maximize the pieces in that defense is going to be key. And that's my, and that's my biggest concern at this point. Yeah. I think you pretty much know that. I think like if the Nets didn't make one single move the rest of the year, could they win a championship? Yes, they definitely could. There's enough talent on this team, but there's plenty of question marks too, where you'd almost need to get, you know, the ball to bounce your way there, you know, a couple times in the postseason or just get the right matchups and stuff like that. They can do more to this roster to make it more likely to happen. But I feel like this roster is super talented. If maybe Spencer Dewey and Karis Avert were, you know, threes and fours, we'd feel a lot better. But given how like there's so many, so much talent at the guard position and so much talent on the offensive side of the ball, and we're kind of missing those defensive pieces that's where you get a little bit more concerned especially because you know we've talked about this what jack a million times the three four defender you know we don't want to put a ton of pressure on kevin durant there's going to be a ton of great three fours you're going to see from Giannis to Kawhi to lebron to jason tatum you know that's just something you're going to have to deal with if you want to win a championship and right now the nets don't necessarily have a great solution we could all be wrong and the nets could all of a sudden look great with all these pieces and magically fit together but based off of what we know from the past and just what we know about basketball there's room for improvement to this, for this team to ascend to the highest possible level. And that's being the favorite in the NBA. I think they're one of the contenders. I'd put them in probably the top four, top five, but they're not clearly over, you know, the Lakers or the Bucks or the Clippers even. Like, they still have more to do to get to being the favorite to win it all. Yeah, I hate to be reductive about it, but if Kevin Durant is the best player in the NBA, the Nets are maybe the championship favorite. It's as simple as that. You have one of the best players in the NBA. You have... Uh, you know, a Luka Doncic, a LeBron James, a Kawhi Leonard, or a Giannis Antetokounmpo, you are a bona fide championship contender. It's why the Sixers, the Celtics are on the precipice. Can Tatum, you know, elevate himself to there? We've seen Kevin Durant be the best player in the league. He was the best player in the league before he got injured. Will he get back there? Obviously, there are plenty of question marks about that. We've, you know, we've discussed already on this episode. But I will be much more confident. And I want to give a shit about the defensive side of the ball if Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. If he's the Slim Reaper, if he's back to what we know, and you know he, he's got you know some of his lateral quickness on both ends of the floor, and he's just an absolute bona fide you know beast on 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 and on the floor as a leader and and producing and and, and just hitting shots left, right, and center. That's going to make the Brooklyn Nets a, a championship contender, a bona fide championship contender. You know there is a lot of parity in the league right now, probably even more so than last season. You know I think it was it was back down to three. You can make an argument for like eight teams this season, you know, that have championship aspirations. And the Brooklyn Nets have a lot of strengths in terms of their depth at the, the guard position and their just overall talents, you know, you know, pull. They have a lot of talent, you know, one to nine deep. There might not be a better team than the Brooklyn Nets, but the holes are glaring on the defensive side of the floor, the, the wing position. You know, you're closing a game with DeAndre Jordan or Jared Allen going up against you know, Joel Embiid or Anthony Davis or, or the likes of these sort of dudes. You know, there's plenty of little things and question marks around them, but I hate to sort of say it. If Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant, the Kevin Durant we know and love, then the Brooklyn Nets can win the championship you know, with an absolutely massive tick. It's as simple as that. Um, but I don't know what you think, Gotham. Is that a little bit simplistic of me to just sort of boil it down to that if Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant and even if Kyrie Irving is at least 80% of his best and at least healthy in, in the postseason when we need him to be Kevin Durant can lead a team you know in in ways that LeBron James can I don't think that there are two better superstars to just lead a team to a top 10 offense um, top five offense by himself I think Kevin Durant could I don't know is it simplistic of me to sort of boil it down to that Uh, now we're getting a little spicy, huh? Um, so I just, for me, it's really hard to, to think about Durant as the best player in the NBA this season. It just feels like you're putting your hopes on something that uh, you don't feel there's a high degree of likelihood happening. I don't disagree with you. If he's, if he's the best player in the world from the get-go, uh, I think we should probably be the favorite, though I still have concern about, you know, LeBron and Anthony Davis and the pieces that the Lakers have there. Um, I think in the situation you're describing, that would be a heck of a finals and I would be glued to my TV, but I don't say we're guaranteed to win. Um, that's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would also say this, just a quick note on KD before I forget. I will say one thing, regardless of even if he's not at the highest level in which he was, 
it'll be nice to have a weak side rim protector. Like Kevin Durant is, can still block shots even if he doesn't have his full athleticism. And that's just something the Nets have not had. Like it felt like the entire time Jared Allen was locking down the paint. It's like Jared Allen, yeah, you, you're going to try to contest a shot, but no one has your back. Obviously, Kevin Durant can give you a little bit of that. But like what you were saying, Jack, if KD's at the highest level, you know, you're getting a lot more confidence. But even if like, let's just hypothetically say, you know, Spencer Dewey and Karis Avert took just ginormous strides as defenders, I'd feel really good too. Because like Karis is getting closer with his size at 6'7 to be able to defend threes. He can't defend LeBron or Kawhi. But like if those guys took major strides as defenders, that would give you a lot more confidence too. But so like even with KD being amazing, like the defense is still the concern in how you deal with these guys without it having some type of impact on Kevin Durant. Because like, we still have to believe in science. Like we know that he's just like, there's just going to be a lesser workload coming off that Achilles injury. Like it's just how it is. Unless he's just like God's gift and it's a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Well, this is something that we could probably talk about for two hours, just the three of us here, but I do need to move on now. I guess the a touching point on sort of the roster construction as is our dude Matt Brooks put out uh, a, you know he got flamed you know it sort of created a bit of discussion about what would the Nets closing lineup be you know with the roster as it's currently constructed Gotham what's your five in in closing moments of important play of important games in at least the regular season um, with these 15 players as is uh, let's see I, I saw that. And, you know, it sent me into a, a deep pit of contemplation that I still haven't <laughs> really uh, So, uh, ideally, I think KD is a five. You have a four who can defend three through five uh, next to him uh, to take some of the burden off him. And you have Kyrie and Joe Harris on the floor. Um Maybe those other two guys are Levert and Jeff Green. Um, I honestly, you know, have no clue at this point. What I like about Spencer Dinwiddie is I have relatively good faith that he's going to be able to defend multiple positions, probably at an above average level. Um, Yeah. So having him... I wanted to ask you, who are you more confident in defensively out of Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert as at this point? Dinwiddie, not by, by, by a large margin. So I, we've been, I think we've been on the, Zach Lowe wrote, he had LeVert potentially as an all-NBA defense guy. And we just have not seen that development in any, in any way, really. Um, LeVert will get some steals. He'll jump in passing lanes. He'll uh, he'll jump in passing lanes at the wrong times. He'll hedge badly. He has the athletic tools, which you can see when he's defending in isolation, because that's really the situation where pure athletes thrive defensively. But what's most valuable is team defense, and he just isn't there at this point. Um, Dinwiddie, I have more faith on that end of the on that side of the ball. Um, while I don't think he's immensely above average, I think he's above average with upside on the defensive side of the ball um do you guys agree with me there on Karras or disagree no 100 percent. i think you know Karras is more so shown flashes of you know having the potential to be a good defender where spencer's been more consistent and i always bring back we saw spencer play some really high level defense in that uh 100%. playoff series yeah oh in that playoff series against philadelphia you know he had a yeah. couple of really good moments there it's just like both, you know, Spencer's probably been more consistent, but I think both guys do this thing where they showcase flashes. And I think some of it too is like, hey, offensive workload has been pretty crazy for both guys, specifically Spencer. So I almost feel more confident when he gets his workload, you know, cut down that he should be able to upgrade a little bit defensively. And we've seen it more consistent consistently from him where Karras has better tools. He just hasn't utilized them. And like you said, the team defense thing gives you a little bit of hope because like, hey, team defense is something that you can learn and you can get better at with being more focused. But like, you're already a couple of years in. When is it going to happen? Yep. Yeah, the thing with Karras, it's defensive instincts and defensive intelligence that have just never truly developed for him. He, Like you guys you know, alluded to, you know, I would be looking at him athletically, athletically, six, seven, long dude, really quick feet, you know, on the offensive side of the floor, and then, you know, gets into passing lanes. But he just makes so many dumb decisions on some points of the time. It's just like, we know what you can be, and we, we, we know what you can be, like, on the offensive side of the floor. And, like, he's nearly complete there. 
but he's so damn incomplete on the defensive side of the floor, it almost frustrates you because what we need him to be, as we've said on every single podcast where Karis Averto's brought up, we don't need him to be a, compl- a complete offensive product. We need him to be a complete defensive product because he is the guy on the roster right now that I would have the most confident in, in guarding, you know, at his best, a LeBron James, a Kawhi Leonard, these sort of wings. Maybe not a Giannis because Giannis is, you know, you put all of our biceps and deltoids together, he's still going to be bigger than us. But, you know, wing-sized players, not necessarily like center-sized wings. I think Karis Averto is the prototype and 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 and. and physical mold of what you want to be guarding against those guys but spencer is so much smarter and so much better of a man-to-man defender that he's just the guy that you put there and you feel just you know what you know against blake griffin a guy who's like got five inches on him in the philadelphia series as nick was alluding to you just know that he's just got has much better defensive intelligence and instincts which i think is a big part of playing defense in the nba you know you can have all the tools you can be toy and prince and just look on paper you know what, you're going to be a really good NBA defender, but you can't put it all together because you don't have necessarily the IQ on that side of the floor. And maybe Steve Nash comes up with a defensive scheme that suits Karis Levert's, you know, tools and, and, and IQ in that sort of respect. But, you know, you can't necessarily cater towards one guy. It has to be a team sort of thing. And you need that buy-in and you just need to have better instincts, which I don't think Karis has. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see what that closing five sort of is. Before we move on, Nick, what's your closing five? Obviously, there's plenty of different questions and you could have about eight different closing fives in the first eight games. Yeah, I think there's like just so much variance because a lot of it depends on, you guys kind of hinted at it earlier, like, is Anthony Davis or Joel Embiid on the floor? Like, because if they are, then you have to play Jared Allen or DeAndre Jordan. You know what I mean? Like, you can't ask Jeff Green or KD to try to match up with Embiid in the post, or even Anthony Davis, really, to an, to another extent. So it's like, I think there'll be like almost two versions of the closing lineup: one with a center, and then one where we get you know Jeff Green or KD at center, kind of interchangeable. You know, I think Kyrie's locked in. I think Joe Harris is locked in, and I think Joe Harris is probably locked in. Obviously, we know the complimentary fit, but he hit a lot of clutch threes for the Nets over the last couple of seasons. Something that we don't typically discuss a ton. Like that guy has ice in his veins, and then in the third spot. You know, if Karras can step up defensively, I think that's his spot to lose. But if he doesn't, you know, you could see Nash going with Dinwiddie just because he's a little bit more confident who he is. I think if it was Kenny Atkinson, he'd be going with Dinwiddie. But if it's Steve Nash, I think at this early point, you know, like you sort of mentioned, it's a good point. I think it's Karras' spot to lose. But, you know, it's an answer that has eight, nine different iterations. Foul we could trouble. see Bruce <laughs> Yeah, yeah. could see Bruce Brown out there, Landry Shamit for offensive purpose, offense, defense. You you sub those two guys in. Who knows? I, I think that there's a little bit of versatility, which is good. Obviously, you'd be more confident if you had, you know, an Aaron Gordon or a Larry Nance or whatever. We might touch that on on a different podcast. But guys, I got um, I wanted to bring this tweet that I I brought to you and and Gotham. You and I got um, had a bit of a back and forth about it, which was good. Um, but I didn't expect it to do as much traction and uh, as it did. But I, I put out, you know, Sean, and this is re- in relation to the Kiwi wizard, Sean Marks. Sean Marks deserves a lot of credit for turning around, for, for turning Brooklyn around from a laughing stop into a championship contender in the span of four years. He also deserves criticism for poor contracts, so-so draft decisions, and failing to address the need for a defensive wing. It doesn't need to be an either-or thing. Objectivity means criticizing where it's warranted and giving credit where it's due. Now. You have 280 characters on Twitter. Let me just say this. You have 280 characters on Twitter to provide as much nuance and objectivity as possible, which is what I tried to do. And I was rightfully called out by guys like Will Jackson, Gotham here about, you know, the draft decisions and the poor contracts. And I'm like, yeah, overall, he hasn't given out a lot of poor contracts and he's actually given out a lot of good contracts. And he had all, most of his draft decisions are absolutely freaking amazing to get starters in the 20s in Karis Avert and, and Jared Allen and the like. But also, I, don't, I think there's a lot of people, and including me on this podcast, I just call him the Kiwi Wizard. He has done some bad things. And I think that we need... It needs to be balanced. It's like, you know, Gotham's burner account for, for Kenny Atkinson. You know, everyone gave him a lot of criticism, but it seemed to me the balance between criticism and praise wasn't due and, and wasn't necessarily fair. But I guess, Gotham, when I put this out, the immediate response, what did you sort of see as you were sort of scrolling the timeline? And I guess, what's your summation of Sean Marks and his Brooklyn Nets tenure so far? I uh, probably wouldn't trade it. For anyone else <laughs> at this point, I, I can't complain. We're in a position to contend for a championship, but we can't ask for much else. Uh, 
I think your tweet, and I think I responded relatively quickly, and I went back and read it, and 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 I got what you were going for. Uh, you know, you, you can you can criticize him. Um, everyone, is, uh, which I get, but but you know, I think why it uh, elicited a, like a visceral response from people is because anything feels like nitpicking at this point. He got Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Uh, we have a bunch of young assets. We have our picks. I mean. Everything kind of feels like nitpicking, um, and, and when you and you when you look at people, you know, in that position, it's easy to get kind of tunnel vision to your team, right? Like, yeah, he drafted Musa wasn't great, you know. We dealt with you know Musa minutes, <laughs> like, uh, but when you compare him to other front offices and you compare to other teams and their development, I, I think we've been pretty great. We've got Levert, you know, uh, Claxton has a lot of upside. Jared Allen is a starting five or was a starting five. Um, you know, he, he's done enough good with late picks, uh, a lot more than, and than some teams have done with top 10 picks, you know, yeah. <laughs> Knicks. Um, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, it, it's, it's hard to feel, you know, the need to nitpick at this point. Um, and as we see with the season, as the season goes, if there's no trade and the buyout market doesn't get us what we need and, and the defense looks bad come playoff time, then, you know, we're going to look back and think, well, you know, he probably should have made different decisions there, pursued different paths. But I, I still see a lot of, ability to justify the decision in the moment uh, with uh, most of what Sean has done so far. So uh, I, I can't complain. Yeah, I'm probably leaning more towards Gotham because I endured so much pain from the previous Nets tenure. <laughs> and even just looking at it from a couple different perspectives, like think about this, like last time KD was a free agent, like before he signed with the Nets, he wouldn't even take a meeting with Brooklyn. Like Sean Marks has literally take, taken the way that players look at the franchise and changed it and turned it into a positive light. To my, in my opinion, it's like if your kid got a 95 on the test and you're pissed because they didn't get a hundred. Yeah, like he missed a couple questions and there are probably ones he could have got right and you know there are little mistakes, but he took care of the big work. He found Spencer Dinwiddie. He found Joe Harris. He took the Mari Carroll on a salary dump and ended up getting picks for it. Yeah, Moose didn't turn anything, but Rory on. Yeah. And then, you know, you're looking at, you know, Karis LeVert. This is a guy that has a, possibly a fringe all-star. You know, same thing, Jared Allen. You're looking at above average starter. I think he's found a lot of value. Even the moves he's really done this offseason, like, yo, he literally got Bruce Brown for a second round pick in Musa. Like, that's a really good move. I know it's not like a big time move, but it's like you took a bad asset with a second round pick and turned it into something positive that could have an impact on your playoff run. And I think like some of us are like, oh, well, you know, if the Nets don't add a defensive wing, you know, Sean Marks didn't do his job. Like, he it, he has to progress. Things don't instantly happen. Like you see teams contending for championships and they can't get over that final step. And it takes years. Like the Nets have really went from being the worst franchise or maybe the worst team in the league to possibly being the best after next season. And you look at other teams like Gotham brought up, like you look the Knicks, you look at, let's see, Orlando, you look at, let's see, Detroit. Yeah. Detroit, Charlotte, Phoenix before. They've been in like either a bad NBA team or purgatory for like 10 years. Like I'd like the fact that Sean Marks flipped the switch so fast is just crazy in my eyes. And like, I just have a great appreciation for it. Yeah. I'm still going to look at moves that were bad. Like I don't really care about the Musa draft pick. I think if, you know, maybe if all the offer sheets kind of signed, that would have put them in some trouble. Like if really if Otto Porter accepted his offer sheet, you'd be looking at like, Oh, where's our cap space to sign Katie and Kyrie. That would have been something that could have been. Yeah. The Tyler Johnson and Alan Crabb thing, I'm not really concerned because, like, their contracts would have been up or whatever it is. And, like, who knows what would have happened with Tyler Johnson if he went to the Nets and they turned him into X player. The Alan Crabb thing, like, some of that's on Sean Marks, but also, like, Crabb looked like he had some potential until he, like, injured his knee in his second uh, season with the Nets. And then he just, like, never essentially played again. Like, he never really came back on the court and was the same guy. You can't really put a ton of injury stuff on him. I don't think it was a great contract, but you'll never really know with it. So I'm happy with the 95. 100 would have been great, but if my kid gets a 95, I'll be cool with it. Yeah. No, it's it's totally fair. And and I, I, I totally agree with everything both of you guys are saying. I just think that I'd try... As fans, and I think I said this to, to Brooklyn's Beat or, or someone on Twitter, 
that it's really hard as a fan to try and remain objective and to criticize and provide criticism where it's due. You know, it's a lot easier to do it, you know, for Carol Subert when he has a bad game because you see it happen. But when Sean Marks does so good, you know, it takes away from the fact that are, are we truly criticizing him for, for not doing the things that he should have done and, you know, for things that, you know, could have happened and, and, and left, right and center. So, yeah, I don't think in sports fandom and in sport in the sports media world there is any level of objectivity because it doesn't make for good radio it doesn't make for good sound bites or whatever but you know it apparently makes for at least a, a bit of an engaging tweet and, and a good topic on a podcast but yeah in 12 months time we could be saying you know uh, it's not going to be that it's not a success if the Brooklyn Nets don't win a championship because not many teams go from being literally the worst team in the NBA and a relevant franchise in the NBA to being on the precipice of a championship. It just doesn't happen, especially in the time span that it has happened under Sean Marks' tenure. But at the end of the day, we're in a championship or bust business, and if the Brooklyn Nets don't win it, you know, maybe... Maybe with the James Harden deal, we could see something if that does happen. You know, we, there might be more criticism. There's a lot of things that are going to happen in the coming months and, and maybe even years if Sean Marks is still kicking on. But yeah, I think the likes of Sean Marks and Daryl Morey, these sort of guys that have established a reputation for themselves as, you know, the sort of beloved GMs, they don't necessarily get the criticism. Like Daryl Morey, you know, despite the fact that it was a James Harden move and it was a, um, a Tillman Frittata move to get Russell Westbrook, he still made the move. Yeah. And, he and they still, still have no up. draft picks moving forward for like the next five years. So like there's, there's, there's little things there that I don't think get enough criticism for guys that have this reputation. I think Sean Marks has this established reputation of being, you know, much beloved. And he doesn't, I think other than the defensive wing thing, you know, I was probably guilty of it as well. I think like a couple of years ago on a Brooklyn Buzz podcast when we were doing, you know, what we're thankful for. Also, happy Thanksgiving to everyone listening at this point in time. Happy holidays. I was raving about, I think I came up with the the Kiwi Wizard. That's when I came up with the nickname for him, you know, a couple of years ago. So it's not that I'm not a Sean Marks fan. It's just that, you know, sometimes you, you want to reflect upon and go, all right, what am I... What am I, what opinions am I providing here? And am I am I being too one sided? And again, we're it's a team podcast that we do here, and we are all fans on this podcast, so we're not really going to get a lot of objectivity much. But I thought that it would be worthwhile trying to in two hundred and eighty characters. Uh, but it's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world. I'll be intrigued too to see how much of a long term impact Sean Marks had on the Nets in terms of. Like, did this change the view of the Nets? You know, after what happens with Katie and Kyrie, is this becoming a star destination down the line when these guys aren't here? You know, obviously we have the James Harden stuff. We mentioned all the way back with the Jimmy Butler stuff. If he's done that, like, it's almost even hard because he's having a lingering long-term effect too in terms of, like, changing the perception of the franchise. Some of that was coming to Brooklyn, but, like, you know, Gotham could probably speak on this a little bit too, is, like, you know, the Nets weren't signing anybody in New Jersey. Like, they couldn't even get David West to come to their team. Like, they were trying to even sign, like, the the B-level and they had trouble with that. Where it feels like in Brooklyn, like, James Harden wants to come here. The Nets don't even really have the assets to do it. Or, like, Serge Ibaka was taking meetings with the Nets, and they were literally offering him $4 million less. So, like, there there's some different pros and perception. But like you said, Jack, there is mistakes there. It's just, like, we just love the good over the bad because there's just so much more good. And a lot of the good things he did are just super hard to do. Yeah, big time, big time, big time, big time. Uh, last couple of points, lads. Gotham wanted to bring to you. We've already we've heard you know Amari Stoudemire behind the scenes. Jared Allen was talking to Brian Lewis of the New York Post, and he said Amari's been great so far. He's been giving me tips when we've been working out, giving me some little pointers on how to elevate my game, showing me some post moves, telling me about um, his mentality on rebounding. Basically, those things so far. Do you see? A growth in Jared, do you think we see some growth in Jared Allen's offensive game and rebounding mentality, the, the things that he just pointed out to Brian Lewis next season? Or do you think that it's all going to be like, you know what, this happened in you know the preseason, you know, Jared Allen's still going to have those inconsistencies uh, in, the, in that part of the floor? Because I can't remember the last time I saw a Jared Allen post move that ended in a bucket. Or I can't, if we went to synergy or cleaning the glass, the amount of post possessions that he's had um, and kickouts, I'd, I'd be very surprised. But what are your thoughts on those comments from Jared Allen? I think if we're seeing a lot of post-ups for Jared Allen this year, then we're in a lot of trouble. Um, <laughs> so I, if you're posting... I, I, 
Adam see Jared post efficient level offense in the NBA these days. There's not many guys I want posting up. That said, I thought Jared's passing looked relative passing and decision making looked pretty improved in Orlando. Supposedly that was due to working out with a little bit Jamal Crawford, supposedly. Um I, I'm, you know, in the camp uh, uh that Jared Allen has improved bit year he's been around. Maybe he doesn't have you know, an outside shot. Uh, maybe people don't think he plays as angry as he should. Um, all I know is he's he helped, you know, support a top 10 defense as, you know, a 22-year-old uh, without any size next to him at the four for how long at this point? <laughs> yeah. Story and Prince being his primary support. Uh, so, and I believe he did lead the the playoffs in uh, rebounding in that short four game stint. Yep. Uh, so I, I think some of the concerns are overblown. I think he's got some upside. Um, I hope it's not post ups. I hope it's I hope it's jumpers and uh, and on the rebounding and defensive side of the ball. Um, but yeah, and I hope he's here, and I hope he's here for it uh, as well because. Uh, I try to keep this generally out of my, you know, attempts at analysis, but I, I think Jared Allen's one of my favorite Nets in a while. Yeah, I think Amari should be able to have some type of positive impact. Like you said, if we're getting a ton of post-ups, that's not great. But if he's, you know, making him tougher, which, you know, I think Amari played with a little bit of physicality, a little bit of toughness, especially like finishing inside, dunking on people. Like Jared Allen could use that type of like confidence booster. So ideally, that's what I'd love to see. Who knows if he gets, you know, some of the good might come with a little bit of bad from Amari's game. You know, not necessarily the best defender, but Jared's probably already been a better defender in the NBA than Amari ever was. So, you know, I think long he can kind of take some of that physicality and not even the post moves, just some of the quick finishes. You know, when you have like a, a small guy in the paint where you hit him with a spoon move or just like go right over the top, like things where we want to see Jared Allen take that next step where he probably hasn't really taken it. And having a guy like Amari who did it at such a high level should only make it a little bit easier for him. And I, I remember hearing Jared say like he remembered watching, you know, Amari as a kid. So that's obviously like some positive stuff where it's like this is a guy you really like believe in or you looked up to. And you're going to listen to what he has to say. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I, I think that quick decision making, you know, he's obviously been an awesome player for the Brooklyn Nets. He's just so damn lovable. You know, he's done some great things for the community. You know, nothing but good things for Jared Allen, hopefully in the future. And um, hopefully he's a Brooklyn Net for a very, very long time. But lads, I wanted to end it there. Gotham, uh, absolutely awesome analysis as always. Um, where do we follow you on Twitter for those that aren't playing along at home? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Gotham Rec. Uh, and if you want to check out the newsletter, there's more to come for this season. So looking forward to it. Be sure to check that out. You know, different perspectives are always great. And Gotham does some good stuff. He always, he always puts out a tweet that like makes me think. So that's always something I appreciate on Twitter. So give him a follow. And as always, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.